It's summer coming to an end. It, and it's the end of summer. And it's time for the Pat's Pines Podcast. Yes, sir. I'm Pat, and joined as always by my partner in crime, Mark. How was your summer, Mark? A whirlwind. <laughs> speedy. It was speedy. It's fast summer. Busy summer. A lot of things going on in beer this summer. A lot of beer fests to attend. It's the season of beer festivals, isn't it? 12-month cycle, but... Uh, I believe it's turning into a 12-month beer fest. Well, we went to hell of a good beer festival uh, just this last week, didn't we? Yes, sir. Summer session put on by the Columbus Craft Brew Alliance. They do a fantastic job, don't they? There's so many things to like about that festival. I'm going to start with, you know, the cast of characters who show up. A lot of people in the local brewing community come, a lot of brewers to hang mm-hmm. out with. Mm-hmm. The size of the event is uh, easy to manage. Plenty of space for everyone. There's shuttlecocking, green space. <laughs> Absolutely. And All good things. We got a pretty significant rainstorm. It was entertaining to watch Fred Lee put up the actual brewing tent in the middle of the rainstorm. I can imagine. I was a little bit worried that he might, with that metal pole in the air, get uh, struck by lightning. <laughs> but uh, Sessionable beers. Very easy drinking, nice summer beers, and some really interesting Things that you can do with a very low amount of alcohol in your fermentation process. Absolutely. Absolutely. Nice to be able to, to walk away from a beer festival feeling good, but uh, still coherent. And by, by walk away, you mean still being able to walk. <laughs> yes, that's what I mean. Okay. Not, I didn't say walk in a straight line. I just said walk under my own power. <laughs> now, um, what else happened during the summer? Not too long before that, actually, I took my middle son, Luke, down to college. He's going to go to OU down in Athens. And yeah. so I'm not sad that he's going there because that's a great place to go visit from a beer perspective. I'll have to say uh, a very good event down there, the Ohio Craft Beer oh, Week yeah. that Athens puts on. There's a lot of good beer things going on down there. And I'm sure it'll be very disappointing to have the dual draw of seeing your son and... Uh, Maybe a couple beers while you're down there. I'm not complaining at all. And, right, uh, right. Uh, this time I got I picked up some beers at the Jackie O's uh, production facility tap room, and then went out to Little Fish. hadn't been to the Little Fish tap room before, but very good spot. Good spot. Family friendly. Lots of great beers on tap. What do you think about the Little Fish beers? Love them. Yeah. Jimmy's good dude. Always treats me right, and they're making some really interesting, exceptional beers down there. Absolutely. In fact, we. We'd like to have them on the podcast here sometime soon. Look at that. Calling out. So just saying, Little Fish, we want to get you on in the fall, so get in touch with our people. That's right. Well, I I did a little home brewing this summer, and that was That's right. Speaking of saisons. Yes, I've got a saison in the secondary fermenter right now called Yellow Raven. Yellow Raven. That's good. Ginger saison. We'll see how it turns out. The nice hot weather is to the liking of that uh, saison DuPont yeast strain. Yeah. Since our last show, Common House is now on the market, although there's a little bit of uh, kind of tragedy over the weekend that the, the building that houses 17th Star Distributing burned down, along with most of their uh, That's product. right. How, how crazy is that? That is crazy. Fortunately, there were no, no one was injured, no one was hurt, but um, there might be a little, a little disruption in the uh, flow of uh, Common House beers to the market. So. Yes, sir. Some lost barrels of beer. Lots of... Beer releases, of course, over the summer. Nowadays, now we've got uh, Columbus Brewing Company had you know, the Bodie release, and now I think the Creeper release is coming up. Yep. 
it'll be past due by the time this podcast hits the air, but it's here in just a couple of days. You guys at Land Grant, you put out a really nice uh, double IPA anticipation. Yeah. yeah, and if you didn't get it, get on it because it's just about hit. How uh, how long do you think that's going to last? In stores, as long as they have it on the shelves. Okay, and on tap. In the tap room, we always hold back a little bit so we can have it on the tap room for a while. So hopefully, hopefully another couple weeks. And that's got about. 1,600 kinds of hops. It's got a lot of hops in it. How many hops are it, in anticipation? A lot less than 1,600, <laughs> but yes. <laughs> but there, let's say there are several hop varieties. It's, it might be double digits in hops, though. Yeah. Possibly. It's yeah. not. <laughs> <laughs> One other piece of news. BrewDog launched the Equity for Punks in the USA, which is sort of their hybrid between a crowdfunding thing and then like a serious stock option. That's right. I'm actually thinking I might buy a couple of shares of, uh, yeah. of BrewDog stock. Why not? Dan Eaton ran a, an interesting story for Columbus Biz First where he interviewed James Watt and asked him about it. And basically it sounds like they're just some things, it's so new in the U.S. that some things are a little bit still up in the air. But I saw that they had raised multiple millions of dollars in just the first week, so... Must mm. be going pretty well for them. There it is. All right. Well, can't talk forever about the summer. We've got a, you know, this is a, a forward-looking podcast. And oh, so we're it, going to the future now. Drink local. Drink often. All right. So in the month of September, what do we have coming up on the calendar? I guess one thing that's coming up, Wolf's Ridge third anniversary party on Saturday, September 17th. Looks like it's going to be a good one. Lots of beer releases, barrel-aged versions of Direwolf and of Pie. And, you know, Chris really has a pretty deft hand with infusing other flavors into his beers. That's going to be one to look forward to. Did you go to the last year's uh, anniversary? Have you been to one of the Wolf's Ridge anniversary parties Indeed. before? I think we went to the first anniversary party when the, that was when the taproom preview happened. Yeah. That's first, our first time in the tap room there. New brewery, new Central Ohio brewery, uh, putting beer out now, and that would be Three Tigers Brewing in Granville. Yeah, I haven't. This actually is news to me. I haven't heard that much about them yet. Yeah, I hadn't, I hadn't heard a lot either. But apparently they've been open since April, but they've had some difficulty with their equipment, getting it running and in proper order to make their own beer. But now they're pouring their own beer. Oh, they've, great. They've got a pale ale and a Hefeweizen. Apparently the, the head brewer out there, a guy named Matt Mazur, won the Barley's Homebrew Contest uh, not too long ago with a, with a double IPA called Hoptic Nerve. Yeah, so, cool. So if you live out, uh, you know, on the east side, it's definitely worth checking out. Yep, it's, uh, that's a good trip. It's a yeah, good trip. give you a few places to hit. You know, you've got Homestead and you've got Buckeye Lake, Three Tigers, and mm -hmm. Weasel Boy, depending on how far you're going to go down that, that road. Do some cycling out there on the rail to trail. Have you cycled out to Granville? Yeah, that's a nice trail out there, you okay. know, just on an old railway. Is it bumpy riding on the rail? Uh, uh, it used to be, yeah, on the ties, but I think they've since paved that oh, over. Okay. So, yeah, it's smooth. It's real. It's nice. It's all flat. Okay. So it's easy riding. Easy. It goes Johnstown and Newark. All right. So you could hit Homestead and Three Tigers and maybe make it back. Yeah. It's not a bad loop. Right. Do some kayaking out there on the licking. We could. We could make like a triathlon kind of event, uh, the Pat's Pints. Uh, Biking, kayaking, and drinking. And drinking, yeah. Well, I've got some beer festivals coming up in September. So one, Imagine that. On September 24th, the Fatheads Celebration of the Hop. And uh, I've never been to that beer festival. but Fatheads make some good beer. I'm sure, uh, sure it would be a good thing to check out. Delicious beers. And I guess it's, uh, it's all about hop-forward beers mm -hmm. and uh, over 20 breweries. And uh, food included with the price of admission, right? 
That's right. Actually, on the same weekend is uh, one of the older beer festivals in Ohio, in central Ohio anyway. That would be the North Market Beer Festival on September 23rd and 24th. I was asked if we might bring back the King of Ohio contest, which uh, for the people... Had the IPAs last time, which hoof-hearted. That's right. That's ran right. away with the belt. So if people don't know, a couple years ago uh, with other beer bloggers, with Rick Arman who actually is a professional beer writer, works for the Akron Beacon Journal, Tom Aguero, who's down in Cincinnati. His blog used to be called Queen City Drinks, and it's been changed to Brew Minds. Corey and Ron, who, who are up in Toledo and have a, a blog called the Brew Review Crew. Brew Review Crew? How do you say that? <laughs> the Brew Review Crew. That's, that's work. All right. So we did a thing a couple of years ago which was, we called it the King of Ohio, and we tried to pick the best IPA in Ohio. That was won by Musk of the Minotaur, by Hoof Hearted. That's right. That was a, fun a very fun process. Yeah. We had a good time. So this year we're going to do uh, not IPAs, we're going to do session beers, and we've invited every brewery in the state to enter a beer. Got it divided into categories, and then we're going to try and identify the best session beer in the state. And so It's a pretty good plan. I think... <laughs> Well, that's a great plan for us, isn't it? We'll get to taste a lot of good beers. Uh, that judging is going to take place at the North Market Beer Festival, beer festival on the Saturday, September 24th. So yeah, probably cool. in, the, in the next podcast, we'll be talking a little bit about the results of that. Yeah, I got a tight weekend that weekend, but I'm going to try to be a part of it. Yeah. This month, we're happy to have Mike Byrne from Lineage Brewing, brewmaster and co-owner. And I guess we should say Lineage is the closest brewery to the uh, Pat's Pints podcast headquarters, is it not? That's right. Thanks for being in our neighborhood, by the way. (laughs) Thanks for supporting us. We really really appreciate that. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, guys. You can tell us what you're all about. Sure. Uh, We're a small brew pub in the Clintonville neighborhood of Columbus. Uh, Probably do about 600 barrels this year, and that's up from about 320 from last year, so we're pretty happy with our with our growth. Okay, yeah, so du- double the growth in the uh, yeah. YouTube. Why? I guess why Clintonville? Location was really important to us. There's four. There's four partners: my wife and I, and uh, Carrie Hall and his wife Jessica Page. Uh, we all live in Clintonville. We own houses in Clintonville. We wanted always wondered why there wasn't something like this in Clintonville already. It's starting to become a little bit of a younger, hipper neighborhood. It seems like the neighborhood would support it. I mean, if you compare with, let's say, Grandview, for example, which has right. a similar demographic in terms of population, they have three breweries. Yeah. 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 Anyway, there's quite a, quite a bit more out there. Was it hard to find the location? Yeah, it was really tough. Uh, Clintonville, if a lot of people don't know, but most of it is dry. Historically, it was, it was a dry Correct. community, right? Yeah. Um, so you can get on the ballot and try to get that changed for your location. We were lucky to eventually find a little pocket where we are right now that is wet. So we had no issues getting the liquor license. Now, when you say wet, that's not just because it's in a former car wash. It wasn't yeah, right. for that, right? Yeah, <laughs> it means that we can get our liquor permit, serve wine, spirits, and other beer, right. too. Kind of an increasingly popular model. If you, I mean, how many breweries are there today? Like four, over 4,000 and counting in the U.S. But a lot of them are smaller breweries, neighborhood breweries, which is... How I would classify lineage, yeah. And that's the way we want to be looked at. Okay. That's just kind of a different model than, let's say, you know, regional brewery or something like that. They're very different. I mean, we all make beer. We all want to sell beer. For us, we can make less beer, be a little more creative, and Mm -hmm. sell everything on site, opposed to trying to fight for tap handle space and shelf space, and maybe one day we'll get there. Sure. That's having no experience in that area of of business. I think it'd be very wise for us to go down that road first. And it's a big inve- It's also a, a massive investment, isn't it? Probably pretty, pretty much the same as what we okay, put yeah. in. I, w- I would think, you know, with the restaurant and 
lot of the infrastructure we had to put in for the retail side. But it's just, this excited us a little bit more. Some of your beers uh, go off-site. Mm -hmm. I mean, I've had uh, Bernice and things like that in other places. Yeah. What fraction of the beer is sold on-premises? Uh, gosh, I mean, I don't know the exact numbers, but it has to be 95, 96%. We have a goal of getting about, about 20, maybe 25 accounts. Okay. Uh, within 270 and a couple without. Place them in a, in a, in a way that there's a strategy to it. So people see our tap panels, we have brand awareness about the city mm -hmm. and trying to attract people into our place. Yeah. Well, also, uh, we were just chatting about this, and I've heard other brewers say it. I mean, the, also the profit margins are pretty different on a, on a keg that you sell on-site at whatever, 4 5 $6 a pint versus, you know, selling a keg to another place to sell, right? Yeah, that's higher. Um, I would have to think that our um, operating costs are probably higher with the kitchen. Um, so there's give and takes, but I listened to um, a talk from Natalie from Mushroom River, and she was going over why and why they didn't want to keep growing, keep growing, keep growing. And she said, you know, it's important for us to grow at the rate we want, but everyone else has to make twice as much beer to make half as much money. Yeah. We like being small, we like being more boutique, and we like being hands-on. I've already seen since we've doubled production, my time in the brewery has, has definitely decreased. Okay. And that's, I'm okay with that, because uh, I'm still brewing and I'm still very active in there. But if we get bigger, I mean, I'm going to have to bring in a brewer that really knows his, has his chops. And okay. I won't be as involved, and that will make me sad. So then, so then your time is, uh, what, what kind of activities take you out of the brewery? I mean, I guess you've got to deal with uh, accounts. We do have a salesperson who's also a bartender that does the FaceTime for the accounts. But it's, I mean, it's small things. Things break. I have to fix them. I have to work with the general manager, make sure the kitchen's running. I mean, there's always a fire to put out. And I'm sure that's any small business. <laughs> sure. But there always, there just has to be someone that has the flexibility to do that. So before I would be doing that, and then going into the brewery around 3.30, and then working until 11, 12 o'clock at night. And that just, you know, after a year or so of doing that, <laughs> it starts to wear on you. And I was worried that the beer quality was suffering. We weren't being as creative as I had wanted mm. to. And that's when Carrie, our business partner, has stepped in, and he is just killing it in the brewery right now. Okay. Cool. Yeah, he just went full-time not too long ago, yeah, right? I Maybe about three was, months or so. It was March or yeah, so. That sounds about right. And it is, it's incredible. His, I mean, his passion is there. He works so hard. He's, his attention to detail is really like I've never seen before with people I've worked at. And I've had a lot of different jobs. I feel very, very lucky to have something like that involved. Good. You know, speaking from a creativity side, how, I mean, how do you guys approach recipe development? Uh, and then once you have a beer, how much does it evolve? Because, you know, you serve it, you get feedback. Uh, we always just kind of talk about sorts of what, what do we find interesting to drink or what do we want to, what would be fun to brew? It starts mm. there. And then sometimes it evolves with, we'll get a yeast strain in for that beer. That yeast pitch is expensive and we need to use it a couple times. So then that yeast strain might dictate a couple beers down the line. And that's why you always see series. At our okay. Place. Yeah. Right. Like you had a Belgian series that's maybe uh, this summer, maybe it's still going on. Yeah. Uh, there's yeah. still a little bit of it. The end, yeah. end of it left. Yeah. Moving into loggers. Now we'll go into English styles. Um, okay. So that, that kind of dictates it just okay. to keep costs a little bit lower. And then the beers evolve, just yeah, customer feedback, number mm -hmm. one, and then feedback from staff. Carrie and I sit down and talk about it. 
tasting it ourselves. I guess when we had Trevor Williams on, he was saying, you know, he usually likes to come up with the name and the story first. And then once he has that, he likes to develop the recipe that goes with it. I think I heard maybe Randy Mosher say some, kind of the same thing. I think that's a little bit unconventional, probably. I think it goes both ways. I don't know. You know, I never really talked to brewers about that. I probably should because I think our lanes, <laughs> names are always last minute. I think we're starting to have a reputation for having names that are hard to pronounce, too. <laughs> Which I think now is kind of funny. It's a little, little gimmicky, but... That could be your thing. You yeah, know? it yeah. could be our yeah. thing. Just backing up a little bit. Tell everyone, like, how you fell into this rabbit hole. I mean, how did you get it? How did, I mean, I know it's a bit of a story, but... Um, uh, yeah, how did you get, become a brewer? Um, we were sitting in Bodega. It was with my wife and our friends, Dave and Sarah, who own and operate One Line Coffee. Okay. And we're like, man, there's only... Like, two or three breweries in Columbus. Two weeks later, he dropped off a homebrew kit. We started homebrewing together, and then that was just when one line was getting started, and he got just buried with that. And I became obsessed with <laughs> brewing. I mean, obsessed. To the point where my, my wife, then my uh, fiance or girlfriend, was, you need to take a step back. <laughs> You're spending all your time doing this. I had left my teaching job and was gonna start subbing, and I saw a post on, I'm a member of, um, Sod's Homebrew Club. Yeah. There was a post on there from Rich Hennessy start he was starting Buckeye Lake Brewery. And he was hoping help needed help with his draft beer setup. And I thought, man, this would be cool. I'd get some good experience and I'll learn something. It'll be fun. I've built a couple of different draft systems in my house. After a couple weeks of working with him, he hired me on to do handyman stuff, help with construction. I kind of threw my resume in for the brewer, which at that time was the assistant brewer, Rich was gonna be the brewer. Okay. And, and were just, they just were they just getting off the ground at that point? Yeah, or? yeah, we were. I mean, I had pictures of all the construction, and it was it was a great experience, especially moving. Oh, I bet you, I bet you learned a lot yeah. about uh, coming here, being there. Yeah, and he was great. He brought on. He had a consultant that came out and taught me to brew on on a large scale. So working with the new chemicals, you know, best practices for procedures. From there, he encouraged okay. me to go get professional development, and all it, during this time, still working on our business plan for. But now is lineage and okay yeah that's how it started do you have any like tips for people who might let's say be obsessed with home brewing right now and think well maybe uh, maybe i'd like to be a commercial brewer at some point uh, shadow somebody okay for at least a week maybe two if you can get someone to do it uh, i always try to invite people in to talk mm -hmm. uh, spend the day in the brewery i never get responses when i say that but i think it's important to see what it actually takes i mean we're not drinking beer and laughing all day. <laughs> right. I mean, it's fun. I love working with my hands and I love physical labor, but it's it's a job. Yeah. It's a blue collar job. It's you know they see it and they have a one notion of it, a romanticized yeah. notion of what a brewery's life is like, and it's probably pretty different. Yeah, than, yeah, that and if you own the brewery, it's different too. I mean, my sure. I have what I th I thought I knew what I was getting into leaving Buckeye Lake coming into to lineage, but it it is much different. Okay. Having your house on the line, your entire life savings <laughs> on the line, it's much different. That's all it got to be a lot of pressure, you know, in a way. I don't know. Yeah. It seems to me like it would be. Yeah. That, getting through that first year was, was a huge milestone for us. Now we just got to get to the second. Larry at Four String says, if you can get through your second year, you can take a deep breath. That's sort of the, the, the valley of death. Or the, That's there's such said. a thing, actually. I, you know, we're a restaurant, and I know how things go, so I don't mm. think that fear is ever going to go away. Yeah. People change tastes. Yeah, that's the truth, isn't it? And craft beer drinkers are pretty fickle. Yeah, uh, that's easy fix. We can yeah. brew a new beer. Yeah, yeah. What are your most popular beers? 
Uh, spaceship, American IPA, by far, probably outsells everything three to one. Uh, behind that is Bernice, our Berliner Weiss, that we kind of change up with different fruits. And then over there, I mean, pretty much everything after that, we constantly rotate. So it's right. always fun to see how the tastes change over the couple weeks. Like one week it might be uh, pale ale that's really popular. Last weekend it was our Hellas. We sold just a ton of it. But okay. It's, maybe it was because of the new beer. It's hard to guess what. Yeah. Well, it's, it's kind of predictable when I ask that question. That It's unusual if somebody doesn't say the IPA first. But um, but then after that, it can be any number yeah. of things. I wish it was an IPA. It's, it's, well, <laughs> but, but, you know, it's what people like. That's what they like. Oh, that's what I'll brew. What are like the challenges when you think about brewing? Obviously, you want the business to stay in business and, and to make money. But yeah. what are the kind? I mean, what are the kind of challenges? We have a couple of challenges. Uh, one is ingredients. You know, we're small. We don't have large buying power. Right. So sometimes I I can notice that ingredients are a little bit inconsistent, especially hops from lot to lot. Yeah. That's definitely noticeable. Do you guys do contracts on hops? I, I haven't been able to get one yet. Okay. For okay. what we need. Um, I've been pretty fortunate, since we're small enough, I've been fortunate to find what I need and kind of stockpile a little bit, enough to have a little bit of playing room. Okay. When I find a lot that is okay, but not really where I want it, I can blend it in with other lots yeah. and kind of make up for that. I've gotten a little bit better at that. Because I guess if you don't have a contract, you're sort of low on the totem pole. And yeah, we're not yeah. even on the totem You're not pole. on the totem yeah. pole, so... You know, and, yeah. and I think it's important that we do, you know, it helps the farmers. The farmers need to know what to grow. Sure. It, It'll be better for us to know what we're going to pay. Mm -hmm. So it's it's we're going to work on it. We're going to get one. You mentioned uh, Bernice, so yeah. you brought some. So sure. let's let's break into that. Actually, we already did break into <laughs> it, but but our glasses are getting empty. Blushing Bernice, okay. and that's a raspberry Berliner yep. Weiss, right? It's a Berliner yeah, Weiss. Weiss. Yeah. Cool. Cheers. Yeah. Cheers. Cheers. It's got a nice blushing color. Absolutely. It looks like like the Berliner Weiss is where you put them. The raspberry yeah, syrup right. in, right? Because right, yeah. that's one of the traditional syrups that they mm -hmm. add to. Apparently, like, Berliner Weisses are almost endangered in Berlin, as it turns out. That's what I hear, and I also heard they're kind of like kitty beers. Maybe, yeah. I mean, I've never been in northern Germany, so I don't know. Uh, a couple of years ago, I was in Dresden, which is, you know, sort of south of Berlin, and they were like, oh, yeah, they drink this weird beer in Berlin. They're like, you can try it once if you want to, but I don't know if I would recommend it. Yeah, I mean, I think Germany is very uber-regional in their styles, though. Sure. In Dresden, actually, they never even heard of a Gosa. So one day I had, like, uh, it was a holiday, and so I, I just got on a train. It was just one hour by train to Leipzig, where that's where, you know, Gosa is more or less from. No, I've never heard of that beer. I don't even know what you're talking about. Let's talk about the process that goes into making Bernice. It starts about two days ahead of time. Uh, so I actually did it today. We'll brew it on Friday. Make uh, If you're a home brewer, you make a yeast starter. So I do the same thing with bacteria. I use uh, Lactobacillus brevis and Lactobacillus uh, delbruchii. And I'll grow up about three or four gallons of 1040 wort, so a light sugar water. Okay. I currently use White Labs, and I'll pitch those vials into a carboy, set my heater. I have a heater. I set it at about 90 degrees, and I grow it up for two days. Okay, okay. I'll check the pH and all the numbers tomorrow and the next day to make sure that it's where I need it to be. And then on Friday, I should be able to brew the beer like normal. The only difference is instead of crushing the wort and putting it in the fermenter, mm -hmm. I put it back into the kettle at 90 degrees and then dump that lactobacillus into the kettle, seal everything up and let that sit for one, two, maybe three days until okay. it tastes and hits all the numbers we want. And then I'll bring it back up to a boil 
and we finish brewing as normal from there. Oh, right. So, and the second boil is to kill all the bacteria? Is that one of the points? Of yeah, the first boil, I'll just bring it up for a few minutes, just until the hot break drops, okay. um, and that uh, gives me a pretty sanitized liquid, so I know I'm not going to have any wild critters in there. That's the important thing. The only thing I want to take off is that lactobacillus I'm putting in there. That's why we don't use grain or other methods that some other brewers do. Uh, the second boil is to do all the things that the normal boil does, coagulate all the proteins. Mm -hmm. um, we get like two IVs in there just for some preservative qualities. Okay. So there's almost no, it's very low hop yeah, content. Yeah, I think three ounces of hops. <laughs> okay. So make, to make it legal and just because I think it's nice to have those preservatives yeah, in there. Sure. The boil is also going to kill off that lacto. And oh, the malt bill in this? Uh, Berliner Weiss is normally um, a wheat beer, isn't it? Yeah, this is just 50% uh, wheat, 50% pilsner. Okay. That's it. Cool. Yeah. And then let's see, you were making, I know I ha I, I really enjoyed the grisette. Oh yeah, have, we didn't uh, do that this year. Yeah. How, how different is a grisette from, uh, it's also a, a sour, yeah. the one that you made was sour. Yeah, yeah. The, the difference, the grain bill was different. Uh, we had some spelt, some Munich, maybe some oats in there. Okay. We used a, a French Cezanne strain. Okay. So this is just, the strain we use in here is just uh, American ale. We've also used European ale, which is really nice. But we can't, we don't reuse the yeast after this because the pH is so low. I feel like it'd be pretty risky to do that. So we just, once the yeast goes in here, we consider it done. And if we ever get that yeast back in, we'll probably bring it back. Okay. I yeah. I actually just made a Saison at home and there's the Belgian Saison strain and then the French Saison yeah. strain. I love the, sa the French Saison. It gets really dry. It's not super phenolic-y. We'll kind of have to see where that it goes. It attenuates really nicely, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah. And that's strain. important for me. Nobody brags about a sweet saison, dude. Nobody wants to drink it. It would, <laughs> no. it would go down the drain. Yeah, it's gross. Yeah, but I mean, this beer, the one that we're drinking right now, it's, it's got a very a nice, clean, sharp tartness to it. Yeah, it's I pretty think. tart. Yeah. Probably more than typical for the traditional style. It's yeah, usually get down probably to like for three, three, two, three, one. It usually comes down to okay on the pH scale. Yeah, yeah. and I like that because when you add the fruit, um, especially with when we do the passion fruit guava version. It adds a little bit of sweetness, mm -hmm. so that acidity helps kind of cut through that. Yeah, was, they work well together. I was worried about the raspberries because they're already acidic on their own, uh, but this yeah. this works pretty well. Okay, I think based on current American tastes, it's just yeah. right. It's good yeah. amount of tartness. Yeah. I wouldn't I wouldn't want less. It's right on. You're, you're right about that. Yeah. What about the fruit additions? Like when when do you add the fruit? Because I mean, it it rotates, and you how many different fruits have you used? Uh, so far, three. Okay. Um, yeah, we add them in, in secondary. So after okay. primary fermentation is done, drop the yeast, and then we'll add fruit to either. We've, we've, got, we've tried the serving tanks before. Sometimes we add them in the dry hop ports. You make some kind of fruit extract and strain it and everything and then add it to the beer? No, we add... Um, I, mean, I mean, do you take fruit and boil it up? or? Ha, ha? No, we buy um, um, aseptic purees mm. or different concentrates okay. or whatever we okay. can. Um, our rule has to be 100% fruit. Okay. We want no extracts. We want no quote natural flavors because I don't really know where those, where those come <laughs> sure. from. I think that uh, raspberry, it's like an animal's yeah. anal glands. It's like I don't know. It's like a groundhog or something. Sounds really, like, I, I have heard that. Yeah, just because yeah. it's natural. And it's like that sounds out. naturally yeah. amazing. Yeah. <laughs> but we've also done we've done side by side blind taste with mm -hmm. um, real fruit and the extracts. Now it could be just the vendors that sent us samples, so there could be a better products out there. But everyone could always tell which one was real fruit and which one was the extract. Okay. Now, some Berliner Weisses are made, if we compare like kettle sours to, let's say, barrel uh, sours, if you want to call it yeah. that, you know, um, 
but that's a whole diff that's kind of a whole different ball game in some ways. It takes longer, right? It's uh, takes longer. There's I mean there's a number of different ways to do it. Um, I think those are also more complex. Yeah. You know the 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 lacto takes longer to work. Uh, oftentimes you have bretomyces, and mm -hmm. so right. you get a little more complexity. Which I love those, and eventually I would like to be able to get into that. Mm -hmm. um, but they're much different. This is this is an Americanized Berliner Weiss. Right. Mm -hmm. Do you have a favorite Berliner Weiss? Uh, Bernice. Bernice. There it is. <laughs> there we go. There Nailed we go. it. There we go. I shouldn't ask such questions like that. That's a great like answer. <laughs> now we're going to talk about off-flavor tasting in beer. Kind of got to this topic because, uh, Mike, you were conducting classes at Lineage, right, on this topic. Yeah, we do kind of intro to off-flavor testing where we do the like the pharmaceutical grade off-flavors. Uh, we usually do five per class. Okay. Go through it. Actually, I came in for one of them. I signed up and came in on a Sunday morning and did the off flavor tasting. The base beer, if you will, will here. What we're spiking is this is Miller Light. Miller Light. Yeah, Miller Light. Um, from what I understand, pretty standard. It's pretty neutral and makes it easy to guess. I like to start with this because um, it gets you familiar with the, the flavors and the smells of the different off flavors. So then it makes it easier to kind of figure it out when you have a craft beer, which is a little more sort of in flavor. Mm -hmm. um, but it's also important to move on and use them in pale ales, IPAs, look different yeah. craft lagers, because sometimes those flavors change with the different malts, the different hops. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It could express itself yeah. differently in a different uh, flavor combination, yeah. right? but this is a great introduction just to kind of get used to it. I'm going to spike these a little bit more sort of so they're easy to t detect. I like to do that, and then, you know, as you... You're palate gets more trained, you can kind of dial them back and really tune things in. Um, but before we get started, I want to make sure that you guys are aware, like, I'm not a professional uh, taster. This is just something that I think it's important that we push the education in. And sure. Myself, I'm even still trying to get better. I took a BJCP test last Saturday to try to get oh, yeah. even, more, okay. even better at this. So it's just something that I think everyone who likes craft beer should, to become a better consumer, should right. know. Right. Yeah, yeah. No, you should know when you're tasting things that aren't supposed to be there, right? Uh, and then these off flavors today are things you can get at the grocery store. Yeah. So instead of spending $200 on a kit, I think I spent $6 on different flavors and things. Yeah, and that's probably good for everybody to know that you can kind of at least get your training wheels uh, if Absolutely. you are thinking about the exam and, yeah. and not with the big cost. of Yeah, the, uh, and especially the, the big cost is for a group of 20. So yeah. if you're doing it by yourself, you're wasting a lot of, a lot of material. Yeah, sure. To get trained up, I mean, you need to try it, right? I mean, you need to train your palate at some level to detect these things. Yeah, and one of these flavors that we'll taste today is actually comes from yeast anyway. Okay. So it's a good one to use. Right. Mike's poured us these solo cups of Miller Lite. This is the first time we've had Miller Lite on the show, and uh, it has a surprising head to it. But it's uh, it's got a kind of a... I think that's from the plastic. <laughs> Could be. A little, little bit sweet, kind of a corniness to it, you might say. We've calibrated our taste. I've tried to get all the uh, the raspberry, the blushing Bernice, uh, you know, out of my yeah. palate. And now I think we're ready for uh, for the off flavors. All right, so, this is the first one. All right, so the, the nose right away is different. What are you picking up, Mark, on the nose? What do you smell? Banana. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Kind of that, uh, like... Remember the little banana candies mm -hmm. that you get? Yeah. Definitely banana is a very common yeah. smell. So, so as a, as a chemist... Sometimes desired in beer, but... <laughs> so as, as a chemist, I'm going to guess this is isomeal acetate then. Mm -hmm. So I'm thinking, well, this is a little step up from what I was drinking. But this is actually an off flavor here. And, and so 
tell everyone that there are some styles in which this would be totally right. appropriate, and yeah. some where it's not. Yeah, so if you were doing a Hefeweizen, um, you know, that yeast, depending on which yeast you're using, can throw some banana flavors. It'll be a little bit different than this. It'll be a little more of like a ripe banana, but still kind of on those, on those lines, but it's completely appropriate. Yeah. But, you know, if you get something like this in your IPA or this uh, American lager, it's, it's definitely <laughs> sure. inappropriate. And it comes from, tell everyone, where does it come uh, from in the brewing process? Uh, from, it's an ester, so it can come from... Um, too high fermentation temperature? Too high fermentation, low pitch rate, and, I mean, like the Hefeweizen, just the strain you're yeah, using. Yeah, sure. So if you're trying to brew a light American lager, I wouldn't use the Weinstephan strain <laughs> uh, that's no. meant for Hefeweizen. Yeah. yeah, you would only use that pretty much if you're trying to make Hefeweizen, yeah. you would think. Yeah. Yes. Absolutely. And it seems like in that yeast, more the esters come out, the hotter it's fermented. But the cooler you ferment it, you get more of the phenols rather than the esters in that specific yeast strain. Would you agree? It with could that? be. I don't. I haven't only, only used that yeast strain on a homebrew level. So okay. I'm not as familiar with mm -hmm. it. Yeah. That's what people say. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. um, this can also be caused by wild yeast too. If you're just trying to make your typical English or uh, American styles of beer, this shouldn't really be there at all. So if you taste it at any threshold. You need to go reassess your yeah. your, your process. Mm -hmm. Then oh, at the grocery store, what did you use? Did you get banana extract or? Yep, it's just the banana flavor. But at the same time, again, this gets you at least thinking and tasting, yeah. and get you get you started. And this was mm -hmm. I think two dollars or three dollars. <laughs> okay. Well, I, I'm going to have to say that when I did the tasting at Lineage, you know, we were doing different flavors, and there was one, and I was smelling in the triangle test, and I'm like, well, I don't know, they're not. It's just not. It was not that obvious to me. I'm like, they all smell kind of like macro lager but this one is a little different and then like the there's a woman at the table next to me she goes oh my god that smells like a dirty diaper and i'm thinking really that smells like a dirty diaper to you so obviously some well, and I think it was like butyric acid or something like yeah, that yeah there are definitely flavors and smells that some people are better at and some people are weaker yeah. at i know i know diacetyl for me is something that i can pick up pretty easily okay i'm pretty sensitive to it where other people i've no taste of beer with or have beer with it. Don't even notice it at all. Yeah, yeah. No, you're right. Just like people are have a color blindness. Yeah, I mean, exactly. Can yep. be very sensitive or almost oblivious to certain Same smells. Same exact thing. Yeah. yeah. But should we move on to another uh, sure. taste? Now, while you're pouring these, what um, do you guys do tastings at the brewery? What do you do for uh, quality control yeah, and things Carrie, like? Yeah, Carrie and I will. Um, sometimes we'll involve the bartenders and do blind tastings. Okay. Um, get feedback. With this one, I like to tell people, try to think about, and actually with any flavor, try to think about things in your life, smells that are very familiar to you. Mm -hmm. That tends to make things a little bit easier. And I like what Pat's doing right there. You know, between sniffs, um, I try to wear, when I'm doing these things, uh, judging homebrew competitions or really trying to take these tastings seriously, I try to use unscented soaps and yeah, laundry yeah, detergent. detergents. Yeah. yeah, one of the things that I've tried to tell in my class is you can neutralize your palate by just sniffing your arm, the, the, your clothing, and as long as there's no sense in there, it kind of cleanses your palate really quick, and you can go ahead and take another whiff and kind of get a fresh, mm -hmm. fresh mm -hmm. breath mm -hmm. out of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was trying to go for this crease in my, in oh, my there elbow. You go. Yeah, yeah. Get that pat stank in you before yeah. you get <laughs> yeah. that beer. There's, I don't think there's any off flavors um, that I give off that would be found in a beer. Not to say there's no off flavors, but <laughs> probably smells better than this beer. Oh, okay. You know, actually, I tell you, in the nose, it wasn't, I could tell it was different, but it wasn't that obvious, but when I had just one drink. Yeah. Yeah, okay, so so this is like I left my beer next to the, the popcorn machine in the movie theater, right? Yeah. So, 
So this is diacid too. This this is one. I mean, I just I'm so sensitive to this one. I don't I hate it. Um, sometimes we'll have customers tell the bartenders, "Oh, there's diacetyl in this beer." And I, I mean, I guess maybe there is. We don't have any like technical ways to measure it to actually get the chemical compounds. But I will go through back. I will do tasting panels with that beer, and there's no way we have diacetyl <laughs> in, in, in that beer. It just a lot of times it's with a fruit beer, and I think it's just the way they perceive the fruit. Yeah. This is yeah. probably one of the more common off flavors you can get in a beer, I'm guessing. It, it can be, um, especially with you know the lagers we're doing. Yeah, I'm very sensitive to that. I also I try to pick a yeast strain that throws not high of levels, so it's a little bit easier to handle. Um, so you can, you can get it with that. Um, also, draft beer lines. You know, oh you have, you have yeah, dirty lines. Yeah. Um, but I find it a lot of times we all use this Chico American yeast, and mm -hmm. that's. That's not gonna. You're, you're gonna be fine. That yeast is so hardy. You're not gonna really have any, any issues with it unless you really abuse it. But you know, a lot of times people will try to use that fuller strain, uh -huh, um, okay. which is the White Labs O2, mm -hmm. or I'm not sure what it is. White, White there's Lab a Labs. London Ale yeast, yeah, too or something like that. Yeah, it's yeah, London ESB. I, I think it's called okay. or something. Mm -hmm. And it's a fantastic yeast. Tastes great, but it throws so much diacetyl, and you can't always taste it unless you do that forced test. That later on down the line, when you get oxygen in your bottles or in your kegs, it really comes out. Uh, That's okay. when you see it the most. Okay, yeah. so fresh, you might not taste it so much, but then later Right, but on, if it, usually those compounds, at least in my experience as a brewer and as a professional brewer, you know, before I really learned how to do the quality control things, mm -hmm. tastes great other fermenter, yeah, let's, let's crash it and move on. And then you get in the serving tank, and all of a sudden it tastes like microwave popcorn. And from working with the different yeast labs, it's because those compounds have been exposed to oxygen, and then it turns into that butter flavor. Okay. Mm -hmm. Now, I, I remember reading that, like in making things like lambics and whatnot, mm -hmm. that the bacteria actually make a lot of diacetyl, and then part of the job is for the brett yep. to eat that up. Yeah. And that's why it, the fermentation yeah. times in part are so long. Uh, yeah, it's pediococcus, which is the yeah, same thing. Yeah, right. It would be the same thing in your beer lines. Yeah, when, okay. And then, you know, if you pull a sample... And even if you have like a young bottle, you can see it's sometimes kind of ropey and you mm -hmm. kind, of, kind of see those materials and then you just need to let it sit and it'll, you, the breath cleans all that stuff up. Okay. Yeah, my, my biggest tip for home brewers uh, to avoid this is when you get to your end of fermentation. Now, I was a home brewer. I know we're not all going to measure our gravities every day. That's, that's totally fine. But when you see that bubble on your, your airlock starting to slow, mm -hmm. try to get that temperature up. So we're all okay. holding our temperatures at 66, 67. Okay. I try to get ours at lineage up into the 70s, 72 even, right at the end of fermentation to, okay. clean, it, to clean everything up. Lager's a little uh, bit lower. Okay. And so that'll eat up some of these things. Yeah. So. We do traditional English-style fermentation, so I might pitch, depending on the beer, let's say I pitch at 64, 65. That beer is it's going to continue to raise in temperature as, as, it, as it finishes, and then by the end it's 72 usually. Okay. And some trace amounts of this can be acceptable as well. There's certain e styles. Even in judging beers, you just You're know right. that going in on so a lot of English styles, trace amounts mm. are, You're right. are acceptable. If it happens by accident and you enter a competition with it, you're probably fine. But don't try to get it. Now, what did you use to make uh, this butter? Oh, this, of course, is... Is it butter? butter. Artificial butter. Yeah. Imitation butter. And does that yeah, does a pretty I, good job of mimicking the expensive I, kits? I think so. Did you have this one at the class? No, this was not one yeah, of Yeah, I think this is a really pretty spot, spot on. I mean, I, I've had, I had a beer that 
that I made tasted exactly like this. <laughs> All right, good. Well, I'm feeling better. I got two for two, which is yeah, good. I think, I think I only got three for five when I went to the lineage tasting. But And that's that's the great thing about these homemade kits. I mean, you can really dose yeah. them and not have to worry about the cost. Right, right. You know, and yeah. the kits, I mean, do they give you a pill or a little vial and you're supposed to dump the whole thing in? And if it's not to the threshold you want, you really can't do anything about it Yeah, at that um, point. And, you know, and at $200 a kit or whatever, right. you know, you can't be just right. keep ordering yeah. those things. All right, okay. we got one more to go, huh? Mm-hmm. Right. Well, I'm going to say, maybe it's my imagination, but I think I could smell this one the easiest from a distance. I, I did this I, one. I, I took I this opportunity I, I to do it with a couple of our staff members today. And we get like in a medicinal aroma. Yeah. For, for me, this is definitely the easiest one to smell. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the name is, is it for Guayacol, Guayacol or something? I don't oh, know. I don't it's know the scientific term. Yeah, anyway. Come on, Pat. We rely on you. <laughs> this is, uh, yeah, it's a phenol. Yeah, it's definitely a phenol. This one doesn't always have to be an off flavor, but I tend to get it most of the time as a hop flavor in, in people's homebrew. You, oh, you picked this one up quite a bit mm-hmm. in here? I, I wouldn't say quite a bit. Okay, like, but, but, yeah, but of the ones that you yeah, might find. The last one, one the, the diacetyl, and this one I, yeah. I find the most. So this, this is clove, right? Yeah. Yeah. This one you get, you know, wild yeast can make it. Belgian strains can do, produce. Do they, well, they do. They, yeah, you, you oftentimes yeah. want them to. Yeah, some you're right. Yeah, you're right. 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 Two, you can also get. This is also a mouthfeel one where market says something about medicinal. I can, you can just feel it on your tongue where it's yeah. like that medicine-y. Um, sometimes you'll get this 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 flavor with like a plastic too. Mm-hmm. So you get the clove, plastic, band-aid-y. Mm-hmm. That's another another common one. I couldn't find anything. I didn't want to soak a Band-Aid in, in <laughs> vodka. But, you know, that that's another common one. And that, you know, you get from not filtering your water, bleach, okay. and then that don't rinse it correctly. Oh, so you get some uh, the chloro, chlorophenols, isn't that? Yeah, yeah. chlorophenolic, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah that's, that's a real common flavor uh, for new brewers. Um, I, you know, I struggled with that, too, until I realized you needed to filter your water. Okay. Uh, but, you know, filter your water, and that completely goes away. Does the boiling the water also uh, get it It could if you do it before. Yeah, you know, mm-hmm. but I think it's also a time period. It has to do it for a certain oh, amount of time. Yeah. You can use sulfates. Yeah. Um, mm. It's a potassium metasulfite that gets rid of it. That mm, might be right. Yeah, I don't I remember. Don't I just don't like to put that stuff in and yeah. if we can help it. But yeah, there's ways to get rid of it that are pretty inexpensive. Let let your water set out for a couple of days to do it too. Sure. This one was super easy to make too. Um, it's just clove out of your spice cabinet. Okay. And then I I took probably. Mm, maybe four tablespoons, maybe five, and just coated it just above with um, a good vodka. With the vodka, okay. Yeah, and then let's sit. I did this this morning, so okay. about eight o'clock, and you can see how dark. Radio listeners, you can't see, yeah. but it's very dark. Yeah, like yeah. Like, it looks like vanilla extract almost. Yeah, yeah. And then that will stay good for for a long time, and then you have your own clove extract. Yeah. Okay. Cool. We did three off flavors, mm-hmm. but there's. 20 in the kit or whatever. What are some of the other more important ones to learn? Um, I think oxidation is a really important one, uh, especially because people perceive it or can't perceive it in different ways. Mm. But if you taste cardboard, uh, wet paper, those are the major ones. But then it can also um, bring out like a sweetness. You can get like a sherry kind of thing. Yeah, sherry, dark fruit, kind of beer dependent too. But that is there a good way to mimic that flavor in a... I don't, I don't know. Yeah. I, I tried to do a little bit of research. I didn't really find anything. Okay. You could 
probably soak paper in your beer. But I, don't know how, I don't know how safe that is. Probably not good to drink. <laughs> put, put a piece of cardboard in it uh, or something. And then I guess uh, skunk, that's another one. Lightstruck. Right? That's probably yeah. an easy one to simulate, right? Just get a, get a, get a glass growler that's clear. Yeah, just set it. in the sun for about 10 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And get a light beer. Yeah. Uh, okay. You know, that'll help too, and you'll, you'll know what it is. Or, um, I don't mean to diss it, but Heineken. Oh, yeah, it just comes that way naturally, doesn't it? You'll know what it is if you get Heineken in a can and Heineken in a bottle. Two very different beers. Okay. Get it and have someone do a blind tasting where they mark the glasses for you, and you will be able to tell the, the glass bottle versus yeah. the can. Yeah, the can tastes time. fresh and good. The green glass, <laughs> which is terrible for beer but good yeah. for their brand, doesn't taste that great. What about acetaldehyde? Is that another one? That, uh, yeah. That's green, like a green, green apple. apple. Yeah. yeah. Budweiser, I haven't had in a while, but used to have a distinct green apple character to that beer. It was okay. part of their, their flavor. Okay. So maybe if you taste some different American light lagers next next to each other, you could probably pick it up. Yeah. But I don't get it. I don't get that very often in craft beer. I think we've covered a lot of the ones that yeah. are more common. Uh, sour is a good one. Sure. You know, I didn't bring that or do that because we brought that to well, the <laughs> Yeah. I think a lot of craft beer drinkers are familiar with the sour, and that's probably not a hard one to get, but it's just not appropriate but it in be, some styles. It yeah. shouldn't be in, in some styles, yeah. Probably in many styles, you might say. Probably most styles. Yeah. <laughs> and that typically comes from a bacterial yeah. contamination yeah. of some kind. Yeah, right? it's, back, it's usually bacterial. Uh, could be your yeast, too, you know, if you have really unhealthy yeast. Okay. Eat. Now, um, you were talking about, not too long ago, you went to, uh, I guess, uh, one of the BJCP tastings here. So I have to say that in preparation for this interview, and I've been wanting to do this anyway, I, I decided to go online and take the BJCP exam. Oh, yeah, nice. I just took it. I said, I'm not going to study. I'm, I paid, you can pay three tries for 20 bucks or okay. whatever. So, well, I don't know. I passed it on the first try, which is good. But now, now the next Now you're under the gun to get the tasting. Now right? I got to get the tasting. And then I looked up the dates, like when you can taste them. Like, you Did know. you get on the waiting list? Well, I mean, it was already too late. Yeah. So uh, the next one in Ohio is in November in Akron. So I emailed the guy. Get on as many waiting yeah. lists as you can. How far am I to have to travel to do this? I don't know. Yet? My first one, my first test I did in Akron. Um, okay. The one I did here last weekend was, was in Columbus. Yeah, okay. Probably get to know some of the judges. That's probably the best thing to do. To get on the waiting list. It'll help you get on the waiting list, but also help you get first dibs at the at the test. Okay. Can you tell us what the test, uh, I mean, how it goes? or Yeah. What it's like? yeah. Uh, now it's the two It's two separate tests. Okay. Uh, they change format. So you take the online version first. Yes, um, and then once you take that, you have to take the t- tasting. I'm trying to elevate my rank. Okay. Um, so I've already taken both the written and the tasting once. Um, so you go in the room, and there's a certain amount of people, and then there's two master-level judges that are in there, too. They're taking the exact same test with you. Okay. And your tests are graded side-by-side side against those to see how closely you've done to them. Okay. Uh, I think there were six beers, and you judge them. As, as if you would in a competition. If you go to the BJCP website, bjcp.org, there is a ton of information. Um, practice tests, uh, study guides, I mean, everything you need okay. is, is, is in that on that website. And that's all I did was... But for the tasting itself, then, so you're given a beer, and then do they tell you what style it is? Yeah, uh, they, they told us what style. Okay. And would it have maybe off flavors, maybe, maybe not? You don't know. You yeah, don't know. It could. It, it could. It could, it could it be not, a 50-point yeah. beer. You yeah. really don't know. Okay. A good way to practice, just download a score sheet so it's free, mm-hmm. and then start scoring stuff yourself. You can calibrate by two th- ways. If you're a member of the American Homebrewers Association, mm-hmm. you get Zymergy, Zymergy Magazine. 
they always have a, a tasting in the middle of that magazine where they have four or five Grandmaster judges. Okay. And they give all their feedback and their score. So you could pick those beers up, score it yourself, and compare your notes then, to theirs. Yeah. Oh, that's a good idea. But the BJCB also has, it's been a while since I looked at it, but they have competition guides that have been filled out by judges, so you can get beers that are readily available throughout the United States, probably like Sierra Nevada or some Great yeah. Lakes things. So you could do the exact same beer and then compare and see how you're at. Oh, yeah. No, that would be useful. Because, you know, the yeah. calibration, you have to have something yeah. to calibrate against. The right? best thing to do overall, though, is judge competitions. Okay. You're going to get paired with a judge that knows what they're doing since you're being novice. You're and, a provisional judge. And you I learn a lot better. Yeah, 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 yeah that's that actually judging in competition where you get real life examples of things is by far the best thing okay. to do. And so if someone wanted to do that, they should just reach out to the local homebrew. Local, yeah, local homebrew. Yeah. Um, again, BJCP. Sods, for example, in Central yep, Ohio. Sods.org. Um, you can reach out to them. They do a couple competitions a year. Okay. Um, but also on BJCP.org, they have a list of nationwide competitions that are registered through them. Okay. And then you can go through the website and volunteer. Mark also has um, judged at homebrew competitions. Yeah, have, it's been a long time, yeah, yeah. but yeah, uh, late 90s, early 2000s. So do you guys have any good stories from judging at homebrew competitions? And, you know, I mean, sometimes I guess there are things that are pretty off or not so much. Or? And, you know, I would imagine it's a lot better now. Back back then, yeah, you got a lot of beers entering competition that should not have been there to begin with. Yeah, I mean, sometimes, I mean, it's like, it's probably like pro level too. There's always some clunkers, but I judged the state fair this year and I did um, light European lagers. Okay. And I will tell you, there were some fantastic beers in that flight. I think we okay. had eight yeah. beers and I think all eight were 30 and above. Okay. If I remember correctly, a couple 40s, 45s. I mean, that's. Wow. Okay. So you cool. get up above 40, you're talking a really the, good The quality of homebrew beer. now is phenomenal. I mean, but look at the resources. Yeah. <laughs> Just from when I started homebrewing, I mean, it's, it's, it's phenomenal. Mike, thanks for, thanks for coming by and doing the show tonight. It was, it was a lot of fun. Yeah. Thanks uh, for having me. I had a blast tonight. Yeah. And, yeah. uh, Definitely good luck. Keep making the, the good beers there at Lineage. Thank you. We'll, Appreciate we'll that. Keep we're coming by. Love we're having you in the neighborhood, that's for sure. Oh, thank you. All right, well, cheers. 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 <laughs>